Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today, we're going to talk about the state of tax foreclosure in Detroit and Wayne County, where those have devastated neighborhoods and plundered citizens' assets for many, many years. Moratorium is sparing a lot of people from the effects of it, but what happens when that moratorium ultimately ends? We're going to discuss it with a few experts and a reporter, and of course, we want to hear from you about your experience trying to hold on to land in the city of Detroit. That's next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm really glad that you've decided to join us. For nearly all of us, our homes are not just the place we lay our heads each night. They're pretty critical parts of the American economic experiment. Think about it. Buying a house is about investing in tomorrow, securing yourself against economic shocks that might come, and building something that will pay off way into the future. Not just for you, but especially and critically for your children and their children and even their children, generations to come. In the last couple of decades, though, this project, this dream, has become much, much harder to attain. And for some who have been able to buy homes, invest in property, those homes have been even harder to keep. Let's go back a little bit and talk about Detroit and how it used to be ground zero for the idea of home ownership, and especially black home ownership. This was once the city that had the highest rate of home ownership among African-American citizens of any city in the country. But in recent decades, there have been multiple recessions. We've experienced stagnating wages and not much in the way of helping working and low-income people with low credit scores. It's just become a lot harder to buy or even maintain a home. And those things alone aren't what kicked off this wave of foreclosures, tax foreclosures in particular, that we experienced here in Detroit in the 2000s and the 2010s. Reports show that Detroit homes were overtaxed by almost $4,000 each after the Great Recession. They show that rampant speculation from non-Detroiters has often led to more foreclosures and more blight in neighborhoods. And they show that the Detroit Land Bank often has not properly represented city residents and mismanaged the homes that it's responsible for. What's more, new reports highlight how African Americans are systematically denied mortgages at much higher rates than their white peers when they're trying to buy homes in places like Detroit. And so all of this All of this turmoil, all of this carnage, really, has led to a city where most black residents are now not homeowners the way they used to be. They're renters. And now we're even learning, perhaps unsurprisingly, that housing insecurity is starting to have a huge effect on renters. That's where we want to begin the conversation today with the state of foreclosure, tax foreclosure in particular, here in the city of Detroit. And we've got two great guests to help us understand where we are and what we should be doing. Allie Gross is a freelance journalist in Detroit, and she recently wrote a piece titled, Detroit's Foreclosure Crisis is Coming for Renters. Allie, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. It's really nice to talk to you. Yeah, it's great to have you here. 
And also with us is Ted Phillips. He is executive director of the United Community Housing Coalition, a nonprofit that tries to protect against housing insecurity. Ted, welcome back to Detroit Today as well. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So, Ted, I want to start with you and talk about how Detroit became a city that is a city of renters and used to be, of course, a city of homeowners, that the, this, this, this pride that we had in the rates of homeownership is now really, really diminished. How did we go from one extreme, really, almost to the other? I think the mortgage foreclosure crunch that you alluded to earlier was part of that, but I think a bigger part of it has been uh, the tax foreclosures. Uh, when the law changed in, I think it was 1999, uh, it was there was a noble purpose there, and it was to get rid of a a really bad law that that allowed for lien purchases to be made of, um, we saw some like $50, $7,500. And if you went through a really cumbersome process, basically, uh, you could you could steal seniors home. And that's what it pretty much amounted to. And you would we would see that from time to time. And it was pretty gut-wrenching and there was a need to change that law. And it was also an issue of um, properties sitting vacant for long periods of time, particularly in the city of Detroit and uh, the government feeling they couldn't put them back into productive use quick enough. I think there were some other ways that could have been done, but one, one thought was, well, if we roll it through tax foreclosure quicker, then we can, we can do something about that. The problem was, and, and, and frankly, a few of us said it at the time, and it doesn't, doesn't, it, it doesn't feel good saying we said it at the time. It doesn't make any difference. We didn't have an impact. So it's as much our fault, but what was not considered was that the, the same law that applied to vacant properties applied to, to occupied properties. So when you go from a system that took years to take a home to a system that took, you know, three years uh, or owing taxes from three years back, not even really necessarily three years full taxes, and you have issues of overassessment and things of that nature, and you have for, for a long time, it's gotten much better now, but for a long time, a pretty dysfunctional system for dealing with the what's called a poverty tax exemption, which should have protected uh, low-income homeowners at least. When you mix all of that together, you have just a, a nightmare. And so what we've seen since about 2012 or so is that every year there has been uh, 50,000 or more properties, not for, not foreclosed, but 50,000 or more properties uh, put on a petition to bring them to foreclosure, meaning that all of those, those homes all of those occupants needed to be worked with. It's a massive job, uh, and 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 one that uh, you know is, has led ultimately to uh, massive foreclosures and sales at auction. Uh, and uh, what we've seen today, with with a lot of properties going from homeownership to uh, to investment owned to becoming rental properties that are not maintained, and the taxes aren't paid, and the investors go right back back to you know, losing the property, but then bidding at the auctions in the fall and getting the property back, even though that's not what the law says is supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And we get this, this, this really awful cycle, uh, circle uh, that, uh, that what we've seen. This year, we got a little bit of a break with uh, the treasurer's actions, uh, which I wholeheartedly support of bringing uh, the homeowner owned homes uh, out of foreclosure one more time, in large part due to the, um, availability of funds to help that population and that availability coming out kind of late with the Michigan, with the my half program through the state. Uh, so I think that that will help some, but there's, there's, uh, there's problems with that too. And I'm sure we'll discuss those as we go along. Yeah. Yeah. So Allie, um, catch us up on where we are with foreclosures right now in Wayne County. As I said, in the yeah. open, we've got this moratorium, that's been in place during the pandemic. And that's a bit of relief for people that's related, of course, to to the dangers and, and the extreme conditions that we've all been living in. But of course, uh, they, they're talking about and have been talking about when that moratorium might end. And we would go back to, I guess, this the system we have had before. Uh, talk about where we are in that process. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you guys have mentioned last month, the treasurer announced a moratorium on the foreclosure 
and subsequent auctioning of owner-occupied homes with tax debt from 2017 to 2019 because homes are foreclosed, as we know, uh, after three years of, so it's based off three years back of tax debt. So this is homes at risk during the pandemic that essentially got pulled out. Um, Alex Alsup, who's with Regrid now, he crunched some numbers and found there are about 800 owner-occupied homes still at risk of tax foreclosure after the new moratorium because they owe tax debt from 2016 or prior. So that's one group. Um, But that's just owner-occupied properties. The new issue, um, which isn't covered by this policy, and I think it's something that we do need to be paying more attention to, is non-owner-occupied homes at risk of foreclosure. So in other words, occupied properties that are rentals. Um, so in March, right before the redemption deadline, there were nearly 8,000 in total occupied properties at risk of foreclosure, and 5,000 were rentals, or mm-hmm. we'll, we'll just say non-owner occupied because we don't know the exact arrangement that the people um, living in these properties had, but they were not the owners. So that's 5,000 homes not covered by this moratorium. Uh, We can imagine the number decreased as the March 31st redemption deadline approached. We still don't know the final numbers of these kind of uh, non-owners that are stuck in the crosshairs of this policy. Uh, But the shift, I think, is something that we do need to be paying attention to just because the numbers show kind of what you were talking about at the beginning, Stephen, this real uh, kind of housing shift that has Mm -hmm. occurred in the city. Mm Because In 2015, you know, the apex of the Detroit tax foreclosure crisis, um, under 30% of the foreclosed occupied properties were non-owner occupied or rentals. This year, you know, with the numbers that we crunched for Bridge Detroit, of course, this is working with pre-redemption data and pre-news of this moratorium, but 65% were rentals. Um, And you could ask why this happened. I think on a micro level, there was kind of a shift that happened in more recent years Mm -hmm. where it was kind of broadly acknowledged that the um, sale of occupied homes is bad. Um, So there have been more of efforts, um, like as Ted just brought up, getting making sure um, people know about, I think it's now called HOPE, but people know that they can get a poverty tax exemption, making sure that information is out there because that was not readily available until the ACLU filed a suit, um, I believe, in 2017. Um, so there are m- far more solutions, but many of them, for the most part, there are a few, and I think Ted will talk about Make It Home a little later, um, but there are a few solutions that help centers. But the vast majority really focus on owner occupants. So even the Wayne County Treasurer's website, it states its goal Mm -hmm. in relation to occupied properties is zero owner occupied foreclosed properties versus saying just zero occupied properties. Hmm. And Hmm. I think a big part of that is that the policies in place don't necessarily um, take into account that the landscape has greatly shifted in large part because of previous years of past aggressive auction years that kind of ushered in this rental chaos. So um, I think as you both have pointed out, between 2005 and 2015, one in three properties were dispossessed in Detroit because of mortgage or tax foreclosure. Um, And then as you pointed out, Stephen, during this time, Detroit, which was once known for having the most black homeowners in the U.S., it became a majority renter city. Um, So we're really, I mean, yeah, the the problems that Detroit faces now, I think we focus in terms of housing. We kind of have these big conversations um, every spring and then every fall because of the auction or because of foreclosures. But the problems that really um, now need to be addressed aren't just during these two periods of the year, but the instability that comes from being a renter year round. Um, So I I think it, it has greatly changed. The housing conversation. Yeah. Uh, quickly, Ali, talk about the the recourse if you're a renter and the home that you're renting gets tax foreclosed. I mean, it's it, it, there's been so much effort over the last decade to 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 help homeowners, people who live in homes that they own, right, uh, to to stop the tax foreclosure 
uh, process from disrupting their lives. But if you're a renter, what can you even do? Right. So there is the Make It Home program, um, and that helps uh, purchase pre-auction properties that are at, occupied properties that are at risk. So it uses the right of first refusal, um, and the city of Detroit pulls the properties out early, and then working with TED and the CHC, um, homeowners can um, get on zero interest loans and uh, become homeowners, and it's widely geared towards, Ted, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's widely geared, you have a mix of um, some occupied, om- owner-occupied properties and then also rentals, but it's more rentals. Um, but right. I think the program, uh, I think, Ted, I, I think it's over, between 2017 and 2019, it was under 1.5 thousand properties that we the initiative, so it's definitely, if this problem is so widespread of, you know, 5,000 rent- renters in, in properties at risk. It's, it is still not necessarily, it's an amazing program, but the problem has shifted where we need maybe larger um, safety nets to kind of deal with it. Um, Ted also, you can talk about this, but Ted mentioned to me that uh, if you are a renter in a property that has now been foreclosed, that you should stay in it. So I don't know, Ted, if you want to talk a little bit about uh, what one should do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, uh, one thing I want to say here is that this is a horrible problem, but it is also a tremendous opportunity. And I think we should should think of both both angles there. Um, Yeah, if a tenant is in a property that's foreclosed, they should stay in the property. Um, We see very often landlords who've lost properties still attempting to evict them. That is that is illegal, uh, and it, there's a need to get, um, you know, legal representation. In 36 District Court in Detroit, at least, we have attorneys from Housing Coalition, Lakeshore Legal Aid, and Michigan Legal that are in court every day in every courtroom. Uh, so that's something that uh, tenants can have access to. They should absolutely stay in the homes. They should absolutely save their money. Uh, there's the potential for Make It Home being something that can work with them to get the home uh, through our program with the city of Detroit and the Rocket Foundation. Uh, And we have over the years gotten a number of homes, even through the auction process in the fall, that's much more cumbersome, much more risky, but certainly they should um, have that opportunity as well. Um, If the tenant, the tenant's not gonna have any obligation to pay the former landlord, the landlord's lost it. The Wayne County treasurer has not, ever in since the programs since 2003 when we've been involved uh, ever engaged in any kinds of evictions so there is the opportunity for the tenant to save some money even in worst case scenario save some money and and have a, a nice nest egg in november or december if someone else does buy it uh, to be able to to move forward and or maybe have money to put towards purchasing a house of their own um yes there are a lot of homes in foreclosure, uh, investor homes in foreclosure, and relative to the numbers that Make It Home was able to um, to obtain in 2017 through 2019, 1,160 homes, that, that's pretty small. However, we, we've looked back on time from time to time that some of those years, we actually had more homes. This is, this is more of a sad state of, of home ownership in Detroit than anything else, but we've actually had more homes that we've been able to purchase then Detroiters have gotten from some of the largest mortgage companies. Mm-hmm. So we need to increase our, our efforts to create home ownership. And I think this is one way we can do it, directly assisting tenants to become homeowners for very low in, for, for very low amounts, very often in these situations. And for uh, if, if we could uh, be able to uh, raise a few more funds, uh, all of the purchases that we're able to facilitate are, are zero interest loans there's strictly a, you know, pay for what we paid for kind of thing. Yeah. And um, it's been very effective at, at, a, at, a, at a low level, but very effective. Yeah. yeah. When we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about home ownership and tax foreclosure in the city of Detroit. Uh, we want to hear from you on the phones about uh, what you think. What do you make of the policies meant to keep renters and homeowners in their homes? 
during the height of the pandemic, these moratoriums. What do you make of the end of the national eviction moratorium? Uh, what do you make of the possible or partial return of tax foreclosures here in the city of Detroit? Should we be thinking bigger about a different way to handle all of this so that uh, there isn't this constant threat of people being displaced? Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media, Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about tax foreclosure in the city of Detroit, not only the partial return of tax foreclosures here in the city and in Wayne County, but the greater context of it, uh, what tax foreclosure has made of a city that was once a point of pride for black home ownership in particular, uh, but has become a place where housing insecurity is an everyday reality for an awful lot of people uh, and where more and more people, in fact, most people in the city of Detroit are now renters instead of homeowners. Our guests are Allie Gross, who's a freelance journalist who recently wrote the piece, Detroit's Foreclose Foreclosure Crisis is Coming for Renters. Uh, she wrote that for Bridge Detroit, a uh, publication which I serve as uh, executive editor. Uh, she's also formerly an investigative reporter at the Detroit Free Press, at WXYZ in Detroit, and the Detroit Metro Times. Uh, we also got Ted Phillips with us here. He's the executive director of the United Community Housing Coalition. We want to hear from you about uh, what's going on in your life with tax foreclosure. Are you somebody who faces possible tax foreclosure now? Are you someone who has faced it in the past uh, do you live in a community that is riddled with uh, empty homes, uh, abandoned homes that uh, were the subject of tax foreclosure? What is tax foreclosure meant in the community where you live? Uh, we want to hear from you on the phones, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Or you can go to social media, to Facebook or to Twitter, and put comments there. Um, I want to go uh, right to the phones here and get uh, listeners involved in the conversation up front. Let's start with let's start with Kim in uh, Kim in Detroit. What's on your mind? Hi, thanks for tackling this. Uh -huh. I mean, there's really nothing more fundamental to people's lives than being able to live in a house or somewhere. And I, you know, this really gets me riled along with the water issue, but. Anyway, the main thing I want to say is that to stabilize the city and the homeowners, one thing that has to happen is that Mayor Duggan has to work to uh, put back that $600 million that people were overtaxed. Most of those people were low income. Those are the lowest income homes we know were hit the hardest. With the, with the illegal overassessments, mm -hmm. the people who are most vulnerable, and to stabilize our, those families, those communities in our city, those folks need to be compensated. They need to be made whole in some that. way. Yeah, sure. Kim, I, I really appreciate the call and you bringing up that, that issue. Uh, Ted Phillips, talk about what it would mean, I suppose, if we found a way, if the city were to find a way, to restore that overtaxed, uh, that overtaxed assessment that that Detroiters experienced, um, would that be would that be a way to to bring more stability, I guess, to uh, to the housing market and and to I guess boost home ownership? 
Well, it could be. I know there's been a lot of discussion about uh, various kinds of um, programs that persons that were um, deemed to be overassessed and lost their homes could qualify for. Some of those were uh, home repair programs. That presupposes that they were able to to get another home. Uh, some, I believe, were also like down payment assistance and things of that nature. So certainly that would um, those those would help. Um, there was so much going on during that period. I mean, there were we we did have instances of some persons losing their homes, but because of the ridiculous nature of the auction and what have you, uh, being able to pur purchase other homes and, and land elsewhere, that was a small percentage, but there were some like that as well. So I think anything that could be done to provide, um, you know, greater assistance. And I think the, I think the, the biggest area where there might be the ability to, to increase home ownership is, is, is through the, um, uh, through these tenants that are occupying properties right now that, that are uh, about to be either up for auction again and just go back through the same cycle again. I think that's that's a way of, of certainly increasing home ownership really quickly, but obviously getting to that other population, which may be hard to do, but um, would help as well. I'm not sure where the 600 million would come from, but mm -hmm. that would be a huge start. Yeah. Uh, that cycle of houses moving through the foreclosure or the tax foreclosure process, ending up in new hands, and then going back through the process again. Ted, can you talk just a little more about how destructive that is and how almost, uh, you know, tail-chasing, nonsensical um, it is well, for the kind of stability we need in neighborhoods? Yeah, well, I mean, what we've seen for years, and, and I uh, don't do quite as much, well, it happened certainly during COVID, but pre-COVID, I did a lot of door knocking myself. And um, what you'd see would be um, landlords who, frankly, didn't seem to care that much about what the tax rate was because they weren't paying their taxes anyway. And um, when I would do door knocking in the summer and talk about the auction and, and how we might be able to help, help tenants with that, I, I would get a lot of tenants who would say, my landlord has this under control. Uh, he didn't lose the property. He's going down in October to take care of it. Well, October is the second auction. Mm -hmm. That was, I mean, that's how, that's how blatant it was that, that landlords would simply not pay the taxes for three years, um, let it go to auction, bid on, bid on a property in October, get it back for way less than what the taxes were and go back through it again until they reached the point where, and then basically complain about the low values of property. So why would you put, why would you put thousands of dollars into making repairs if you buying a house for 500 to a thousand dollars? Uh, and then just milk it until it's there's nothing left, and and leave it for the city to um, the city to demolish. I mean, that, far too often we've seen that the state tried to um, ill-advisedly tried to curb that by creating a law that said that if you are in tax arrearage and you lost the home for tax foreclosure, you couldn't um, you couldn't bid on it. Um, and what was said at the time was that all you're doing is making it easier for the investors. That may seem like that's a silly statement, but it, but it was true because it took out the homeowners who could bid, but it didn't take out the investors. And the reason for that is because all the investors would do is simply change their corporate name and move forward. We had one that went from the name, the name of the company, one, to the name of the company, two, three, mm -hmm. four. Uh, some of them started doing uh, naming corporations based on the address of the property. So it, it did nothing to curb this this pattern, um, and it's you know it, it's gotten less it, during the period when properties were literally selling for five hundred to a thousand dollars at the October auction. This was devastating. It's gotten a little bit different as as the as the values have rise as have risen, but it still is a, a cycle that's been devastating to the city. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to read a, a social media comment. Uh, Michael says, any thoughts on if local governments benefit from foreclosures? Assuming investors buy foreclosed property, doesn't that significantly increase future property tax revenue for the city? It's a good question, uh, Allie Gross. No. And, um, um, I, I, uh, no. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, no. Well, yes. <laughs> right. But I was going to say there, there, there are beneficiaries to tax foreclosure and government is one of them. It doesn't work the way that Michael is talking about. 
Yeah, I would say in terms of Michael's question, Michael's question indicates this assumption that investors are going to be paying their taxes. Um, but as we're seeing right now with these rentals that are still at risk of foreclosure, the taxes still aren't being paid. So I think that that is um, kind of that highlights originally um, maybe some of the kind of positive thinking in terms of the uh, origins of the auction, right? Mm-hmm. So I think Ted has talked about this now a few times in terms of the legislation that was passed um, in 1999. And the idea was to kind of make it move through the process much quicker to get into the hands of the private market again um, and to preserve the integrity of a house. And what we've seen is actually the exact opposite, that private individuals who are buying at auction aren't necessarily paying their taxes. And they're also not necessarily taking care of these properties. We've seen blight increase over the time that the auction has been in place. Um, And that, I think, should raise some other questions about some of the negative consequences that have um, occurred as a result. I think Ted just brought this up, but we're still having the city ultimately have to pay for demolitions of these Mm -hmm. properties. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are properties that have ended up in typically uh, private hands or they've gone to the land bank. But all of these solutions that we're supposed to kind of... um, come to pass because of the shorter timeline and the more aggressive approach to foreclosures has not necessarily bared out. It hasn't worked. Yeah. Uh, and, Ted, do you want to talk about the benefit, uh, financial benefit yeah, very of often. the county? Yeah. Yeah. Very often there's, there, there's not been many benefits. I mean, what we've seen is that certainly not benefits to the local government. Um, the, the process is that the taxes are due locally July and December when they're not paid March 1st of the next year, the, the local community, city of Detroit, as an example, uh, is paid by the county for what the taxes were. And then the county then is able to uh, go after the, the taxpayer uh, and, and assess ultimately 18% annual interest. So there is that piece of it, that it's certainly there's there's the incentive for um, uh, the, the county to collect. But when the property ends up in so many years in the past when the property ends up going to auction in the fall, uh, in the September auction, it's all the taxes and the October auction starts at $500. Most properties sell in October. And in, in years when property was selling so dramatically under what the taxes were, the local communities were then required to essentially to pay back the money. So, you know, they didn't benefit from it. And uh, although there was, you know, the issue of 18% interest, um, if the if the to the county if if the money's not being collected, um, ultimately through the through the auction process, it, it, no one's really a winner. Um, and then to add on top of that the devastation to the neighborhoods that result in, very sorry, it's okay. <laughs> the devastation to the neighborhoods uh, that result in um, you know lowering values and lowering assessments. Hopefully, as quick as they should be lowered, but but uh, I mean that all impacts as well. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone. Let's go to Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Hey, Gene. The problem is that the city has refused to implement the ordinances dealing with home repair and home ownership that have been on for almost 20 years now. And at the same time, they continue to ignore petitions to streamline and reform that ordinance to make it easier to address the problem of over-assessments that led to the loss of property due to uh, tax foreclosures in the first place. All at the same time that properties are languishing in the land bank and ultimately had to be demolished at exorbitant prices at taxpayer expense, while at the same time, rental rates have gone up uh, uh, enormously, particularly in the last two to three years, where they are now beyond the incomes of most native Detroiters uh, to uh, be able to afford. And a lot of the new construction that's supposed to be coming online, affordable houses, uh, affordable uh, units for, for renters, are based on AMI and not on Detroit federal census tracts, sure. which puts it well above the income that most Detroiters can afford. 
it's a political problem. So, so Gene, before I have our guests respond, uh, talk a little more about how you think these ordinances on home repair would help the, the foreclosure issue. The particular ordinance, 797, uh, Chapter 14, Article Roman Numeral 10, on nuisance abatement repair to own, first promulgated by Irma Henderson and Marianne Mahaffey mm-hmm. back in the 80s, needs to be seriously addressed in order to create those home ownership opportunities for low-income uh, people while we have the money to fix those places up due to actions from the federal government just recently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gene, I really appreciate the call um, and the insight there. Uh, Ted Phillips, respond to what Gene's talking about here. I think city council suspended that or something a a ways back, but it was a a good effort at, uh, I remember it very well, it was a very good effort at trying to deal with the the issue of abandoned property. It would allow uh, persons to um, apply with the city for property that was open to trespass to become the owner. And there was a system whereby they would um, be given the right to enter, whether it was city owned or whether it was privately owned. And they would do a repair agreement, um, which the building safety department would determine what the value would be and if of the repairs. And if the owner was to get the property back, they would have to uh, pay off the lien that was was entered with the repair agreement, and if they didn't, then the uh, abater, uh, the nuisance abater, the uh, would be able to get the home for um, potentially a dollar. So it did work in a number of situations. Uh, there were a number of mayors that didn't support it. It goes well back before this current mayor, uh, and it kind of fell by the wayside as property values started to increase, and there were more and more. Uh, owners coming back saying, well, now that they fix it up, I guess I do want my property. Hmm. Uh, there was also issues with the law department not proceeding with actions that they should have. And basically it was a, a failure of various administrations to even really run the program pro- correctly uh, and, and abide by the, the rules that were put there. But it was a, it was a, 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 a ambitious and good effort to deal with abandoned property uh, in an era where there was we thought I, a lot, but little did we know that it could be even worse than it was back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Allie, um, the, the, the the nuisance abatement dimension of what Gene was talking about, I think is really interesting. Um, uh, talk more about how that is affecting communities, I guess, uh, neighborhoods in Detroit. Um, in, in terms of what? Can you say so, so this idea that that holding landlords and owners more accountable up front for the condition of their property, I think what Gene is saying is that if that were if that were enforced more more tightly, you, we would see less of the the, yeah. the behavior that we do. Yeah, I can abs- Yeah, so I think that that's something we've obviously seen a major effort with uh, the city rolling out their rental ordinance. Um, I was actually working on a story a few years back when I was at Channel 7 that was looking at kind of serial uh, landlord uh, slash property owner, seller, Michael Kelly with Detroit Property Exchange Mm -hmm. and uh, he buys the majority of his properties from the auction. And he has tons, many of his properties do not follow the rental ordinance and he gets tons of flight tickets. And so I had actually gone to the um, Department of Administrative Hearings to sit in on one of the uh, proceedings, which I had never done before. And it's a little bit like traffic court where the uh, you show up and it, it's kind of on the, with traffic court, it's on the police officer to prove that you did not, that you did not, that you broke the law. Mm-hmm. Similarly, it's on the inspector to prove that the person has not followed their um, the rental ordinance or they have blight. And what happened, I, I sat in for 75 of these, uh, large number of these um, proceedings, and I think there were only two inspectors that showed up. Every single person was able to have their ticket uh, 
removed and annulled. So it felt like very much a um, stick without (laughs) any teeth. There there was nothing that actually happened. And so then you kind of question, well, what what actually is going on here? Yes, you can say we've handed out X number of blight tickets, but if there's no actual repercussion um, and changes aren't happening and everyone knows that they can just show up at the Department of Administrative Hearings and an inspector is not going to come either, that kind of creates a a problem. Um, So on that day, Mr. Kelly did not receive a ticket in Mm. the end or did not receive a fine. Um, And so I think that that's obviously a problem. I I know that uh, people are not supposed to be evicted if they have, um, if they're living in a home without a, or renting a home without a certificate of compliance, but that unfortunately still happens. Um, and it seems like they're, I don't know, Ted, if you want to talk about that, but why is that able to continue to occur where mm. the courts aren't able to catch the fact that it does it? I, I feel like it has something to do with the fact that not everyone has um, legal representation when they go in for yeah. um, a, an eviction hearing. Yeah, go ahead, Ted. I think that's a big part of it. I, I would note that there has been some progress, I think. Um, since um, August of 20 or so, uh, with the the federal funds uh, in Detroit, uh, the money to pay back rent has been tied to uh, being uh, having your property in with a certificate of compliance, meaning that it, it passes the it passes codes and what have you. So we've been able, because of a local rule that the mayor pushed through, to have uh, 20% of the funds set aside. And landlords uh, don't get those unless they come into compliance, either by expending that amount of money, making repairs, or getting their CFC. So I think that has had some. We've seen a number of situations where uh, properties did not have were not in compliance for years and years and years, and now they've came around. I haven't seen the overall numbers to see what kind of impact it's made. But yes, Ali's right. I mean, having representation makes uh, a world of difference. Um, I think the court has been, 36th District Court in Detroit, has been much more um, responsive to these arguments in the past, but they're arguments that need um, uh, an attorney to, to be able to make. Yeah. We have argued for years that landlords shouldn't be able to file cases unless okay. they have proof that they've registered. I think the Michigan Supreme Court uh, shot that down and said that uh, they couldn't, the court couldn't deny filing the clerks couldn't deny filing but it is something that can be raised to the to the judges one of the problems is the type of cases that are brought um, when they're brought as termination cases meaning that the landlord's saying i don't want rent i just want this person out of my property the pretense very often is well because i have repairs and i'm not renting it out legally therefore i what am i going to do kind of um and then of course as soon as that person's out they rent to somebody else um so that's been a, a bit of a problem, but it, it has been much more effective being able to have counsel for uh, tenants. And we have had some uh, good progress, I think, in the last, since fall of 20, mm, yeah. when the court reopened. All right, coming up, we're going to continue this conversation about homeownership and tax foreclosure what it does to our communities in Detroit. We also want to continue to hear from you both on the phones and on social media. John on the East Side, we'll get to you next. If you want to join him, 313-577-1019. Call and tell us about your experience with tax foreclosure here in the city. Call and tell us what it means in your neighborhood. Uh, Are you uh, living in a place where tax foreclosure has really changed the dynamic uh, in your neighborhood? Are you someone who's had a house foreclosed for non-payment of taxes. Uh, Tell us what that was like, how you fought maybe to keep your house. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. And you can go to social media and put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back. More Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about tax foreclosure, the state of tax foreclosure in Detroit and Wayne County uh, with Allie Gross, a freelance journalist who recently wrote a piece 
titled Detroit's Foreclosure Crisis is Coming for Renters. Uh, also with us is Ted Phillips. He is executive director of the United Community Housing Coalition. Uh, we want to hear from you as well during this conversation. Call and tell us about your experiences with tax foreclosure, either your own experiences or experiences in your neighborhood, experiences here in the city of Detroit where tax foreclosure has really changed an awful lot of, uh, of neighborhoods uh, profoundly, maybe, maybe permanently. Um, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to WDET's Facebook page or to hashtag us on Twitter, and uh, we can include you that way. Let's go to John on the east side. John, what's on your mind? Well, thanks for really tackling this, uh, or at least addressing this situation. So I, I've got two things. Uh, one is the billing and the whole process of taxes. I myself find really kind of confusing <laughs> to read the tax bill, to know when it's due. You have a August 15th, August 30th, January 15th dates on there. You think you paid them in full, and then you get another tax bill. And and then even people that, uh, you know, at the community meetings, they speak of when they have mortgages, that they, you know, sometimes all of a sudden their monthly payment goes way up. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and the whole the whole process is rather confusing and it kind of reminds me of back in the day when we had three month water bills and the problems that caused Mm. you know especially coming out of summer months with the pool and what have you and all of a sudden you have this three month bill and so wouldn't just looking at that be a the starting point to this it's an interesting question yeah john i mean you certainly aren't the only person i've heard talk about the level of confusion that's associated with uh, with the tax bill, and look, I'm, I'm a homeowner in the, in the city, um, especially when there's a change to your taxes, it's sometimes hard to to track uh, because of the way that it's that it's billed. Um, Ted Phillips, uh, is this something that that uh, you know in your community that that we're focused on? maybe trying to, to change to make it a little easier for people to even understand what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I, and actually, I think the city has rolled out a, a I'm not sure that, that it's it's well known, and I frankly don't understand exactly how it works, but a, a system where you can actually pay monthly, um, and um, which is kind of unusual because you wouldn't have taxes. You would pay the city um, after the tax after taxes roll over to the county mm-hmm. but you could pay every month a certain amount it, it will be put in an account and then applied towards the taxes when they come due if you pay them early if you, if you pay before the tax bill is even even put out but yeah the july taxes come out it's kind of a weird time but that's a fiscal year for the city um and um and, it, and, and you do have the two lump sums essentially july you can pay partial taxes in July and then the other in December and the December taxes you can pay by um, a date in January, but, but it is confusing and it's a lot all at once. Um, and there is, there is need for reform there, but I think the city has rolled out a, a plan to, um, to, to be able to make monthly payments. Yeah. There's also been in the past, some information put in water bills and other things like that. I know the board of review dealing with the HOPE program, the poverty exemption, has, has had a lot of um, uh, efforts in the last two or three years, uh, in it, particularly in the last two or three years, to try to make that more accessible. Um, I believe that the numbers that he had for 2020, 2020, 2020 and 2021 were about um, 5,000 properties um, in both of those years that they were able to get in the uh, in the HOPE program. And the significance of that is that the state passed a law uh, allowing for, called pay as you stay, which um, allows essentially the poverty tax exemption to be retroactive. So getting, getting a HOPE application approved in Detroit uh, is equivalent to getting out of foreclosure. So there, there could have been, in other words, nearly 10,000 more properties in foreclosure of low-income tenant, uh, low-income, homeowners had uh, the Board of Review in Detroit not um, 
but this effort through, and I, sh I should say it's not just a board of review, but a number of community groups, department of neighborhoods, our, our, our organization, and many, many, many more. So there are there's a lot of things going on there to to try to do to make a dent, but there's a lot more that needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh Allie Gross and Ted Phillips, it was really great to have both of you here for uh, this conversation. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here on Stephen. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Ted. Yeah, I, I was negligent here. And in, in if people are facing uh, tax foreclosure issues uh, or have questions, we do have a hotline that deals just mm -hmm. with that issue. Mm -hmm. And it's 313-405-7726. Uh, yeah. yeah. We'll do our best to get back to you quickly. And we'll put all the information uh, from UCHC on uh, the WDET webpage as well. Uh, but that's a, that's a great resource. Yeah. So thanks to both of you again for being here. Thank thanks you. so much for having us. Yeah. All right. That is going to do it for us today. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and Sam Corey. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.